Hello and welcome to part 2 of the Omen franchise, Damien Omen 2, which came out two years after the classic 1976 Shocker, set seven years after the events of the Omen, and now teenage Damien is in military academy, even though at the end of the 1976 Shocker he was handed off to the President of the United States. But I guess you're supposed to just ignore that a little bit then. Hmm. This movie had a $5.1 million budget, twice as much of the 1976 horror, which pulled in over $60 million, making it one of the most successful low-budget movies of all time. However, with Richard Donner doing Superman 78, this had a whole new cast both behind and in front of the camera. And again, I should talk about the supposed Curse of the Omen, which struck again as the entire cast and crew all came down with a mysterious strain of influenza, a cameraman died in a car crash and finally William Holden was attacked in China the day before filming and his best friend was stabbed to death. So after that piece of morbidity, it's on with the show. Starring Jonathan Scott Taylor, William Holden, Lee Grant and Lance Hendrickson. Directed by Don Taylor and Mike Hodges who was replaced after only six weeks. The plot. A now teenage Damien is learning about his powers and his destiny as the Antichrist. Can he be stopped by his uncle, or will he fail just like his brother did seven years earlier? So the film opens up on The Exorcist from Part 1, Verhagen, again played by Leo McKern, driving at high speed. So high in fact, he fell out, according to the producer's commentary, through the streets of Jerusalem to meet archaeologist Michael, played by Ian Henry, who tells him, that the faces of the Antichrist can be seen on Yegel's wall. So of course, he doesn't believe the old exorcists about his rantings of the Antichrist, so the two set off to a dig site, which is a completely different dig site from the original movie, even though this is supposed to be set a week after the events of the Omen. After the former exorcist shows his friend his findings, there is a cave-in and the tunnel is filled with sand. All the while, a lone crow watches on. So poor Leo McCran almost drowned in sand doing this shot, which he had to do twice, and he was not happy about it one little bit, unsurprisingly. Seven years later, and we meet Damien, played by Jonathan Scott Taylor, who has a great, if a little on the nose, introduction scene, as he is framed with fire yet again, as he walks past a gardener burning leaves. We are then introduced to the Thorne family. In Anne Thorne, played by Lee Grant, Aunt Marion, played by Sylvia Sidney, who I knew from Beetlejuice, Richard Thorne, who is played by William Holden, and Mark Thorne, who is played by Lucas Dunant. Just before the boys are shipped off to Military Academy, Aunt Marion warns Mark not to trust Damien, also not to let him lead him around by the nose, and to be very wary and careful of him. Of the boys go to military school. On a side note, the real curse of the omen is the boys that, that have played Damien never worked again. And this also applies for the actor that played Mark Thorne. Uh, also, I should say, supposedly on the set, Bill Holden caught a liver disease, uh, which he never really recovered from, and died of it in 1981. But I'm not sure if that's true or not. So that night, Aunt Marion voices her concerns over Damien, demanding Richard see that Damien is evil, also to get his son Mark away from him as soon as possible. 
She also states that his brother wasn't mad for trying to kill him in the church seven years earlier. It is also stated that Anne Thorne isn't Mark's mother and is in fact Richard's second wife, leading the events of later in the movie to sit slightly better with me, but not much more. So, the old woman storms off, leaving Richard to apologise to Dr Warren, played by Nicholas Pryor, who says it was perfectly okay as she's a little bit dotty, and he had to go and set up the sideshow anyway. So Anne plants a seed of doubt in Richard's head, saying that his sister, hmm, maybe mad and poisonous, so he agrees to ship the old dear off back to England, hmm, first thing. So Dr. Warren shows his slides of the findings in Jerusalem, including the Whore of Babylon statue shown at the start of the movie, which was buried during the sandquake. And this is the setup for later, as Mrs. Thorne takes great notice of this statue. That night, Aunt Marion dies of a heart attack brought on by a crow, possibly the same crow from seven years earlier in the movie at the dig site. It's never actually stated. With the same close-up eye shots of the creature as used in Omen 1 with the dogs. The movie then cuts to the military academy as Damien meets his commanding officer, Sergeant Neff, played by veteran actor Lance Hendrickson. Interesting little fact here, the military school was a real school and all the background actors were extras were actually in the school during the time of filming. These are real cadets. Cut to the Thorn building in Chicago, as Richard bumps into his old friend Bill Atherton, played by Lou Ayres, who has misgivings about the new guy they just hired. Back at the main home, as Anne Thorne finds the body of Aunt Marion and a little smirk appears on her face. Cut back to the Thorne building, as Richard is getting shown around by the new guy, Paul Burr, played by Robert Foxworth, who wants to move from power plants to feeding the starving. Something that the movie says is evil, which I don't really see why this is evil, but moving on. Thorne is pulled away during the arguments between Atherton and Burr, and is told Aunt Marion is dead. It is pointed out Burr wants to control all the world's food supply. Also, he wants to use genetically modified crops. So I'm guessing this is how he is evil, although that is only one little dropped line. Back at the school, and Damien is throwing his weight around, leading to his cousin getting in a fight with a bully. It is also here I notice that the badge of the military school has a head of a jackal saddle. Leaving his meeting with Sergeant Neff, he stops the fight between his cousin and the bully by using his demonic powers as the choir chants menacingly yet again, causing the boy to frail around the floor in pain until the sergeant stops it. Outside, Mark asked Damien what happened and what he did to him. Saying he doesn't know, the boy decided to have a race around the complex, because of course that's what we'll do since you show off your demonic powers. You run round a complex. Mm. Back at the, th- the office, Thorne has a breakfast meeting with Burr, telling him to put his ideas on ice for the time being, as his time will come as Arterton is an old man. Also asking if he'll make it to Mark's birthday that weekend, setting up things for later. Outside the Thorn building, Thorn gets ambushed by reporter Joan Hart. Really movie, Joan Hart? Hmm. Played by Elizabeth Shepard, who quizzes him on Berhagen and his exhibit, also telling him Berhagen knew his brother and she knew Jenkins, the photographer from the other movie. 
Stretching much, maybe? Stretching? Hmm. So he throws her out of the car, but not before she warns him of the Antichrist and warns, saying that his brother was not mental seven years earlier for trying to kill Damien, as Damien is evil. However, he continues on to the airport. The movie then cuts to the Thorne Museum. As Mrs Thorne is told the story of the dig site, the wall, and the Antichrist, all by Dr Warren, who gets interrupted by Joan Hart. As she tries to interview Mrs Thorne, again telling us she isn't Thorne's first wife, making me think she had something to do with killing her. Hmm. However, Dr Warren hauls the reporter away, just as she's spouting stuff about the Antichrist and Damien being pure evil. Cut to reporter snooping on one of Damien's football practices. Uh, hello, isn't this a private school? Also, it's a military school. How the fuck did she get on the grounds? Hmm. Anyway, she sees Damien and drives off in terror chanting Bible passages. And this is where she is stalked and killed by a crow, which somehow manages to stall her car. Hmm. Getting out of the car, she is attacked by the crow, Hitchcock style. And if you haven't seen the birds... Fix that now. Well, after this podcast, folks. After this podcast. Now, blinded by the bird, she stumbles out onto the road and is run over by a 16-wheeler truck. She somehow manages to jump over the truck and is hit by the trailer and then dies. Oh, terrible death, folks. With a name like Joan Hart, shouldn't they have set her alight? I mean, Joan Hart, Joan of Arc. Oh, dear God. Moving on. To another day, and the Thorn family, well the boys are anyway, are all racing on snow skis at their winter lodge. Arriving at the house, the boys pelt the father with snowballs as the choir chants menacingly for no fucking reason. Later that day, it's Mark's birthday party. Yet another debate between Burr and Atherton. Then Burr quizzes Damien about if he knows about the Thorn business, telling him he will be in charge real soon. The party then stops to view some lame-ass fireworks display, giving Burr the chance to tell Damien it's time to put child things aside and accept his destiny. The next day, at a hockey match, Mrs Thorne tells Dr Warren about Joan Hart and how it's weird she got run over by a truck on a deserted highway. Again, why didn't I just set her on fire? Because all the rest of the killings are on the fucking nose, so why not just set this woman on fire if she's got a name like Joan Hart? Hello, Joan of Arc. Come on. Hmm? In flies another crow, just so Atherton falls in under the ice, drowning. I guess he was to be put on ice after all. Ugh. Interesting little fact here, the stuntman who did this stunt almost drowned and froze to death in real life as the stunt went horribly wrong. So I'll talk about that another one up to the supposed omen curse. Leaving Burr now in full control of Thorn Industries, he pushes forwards with his plans. Cut to the Thorn building, it's now weeks later, and Burr is large and in charge, even having a piece in the Fortune 500 magazine. When Thorn learns Burr is pushing forward with his plans, he chastises him, telling him that this is not how the company does stuff, also this is not what Arthurton wanted. So Burr now somehow managed to own a part of India? Where the hell did that bit come from? Hmm? Anyway, moving on. Cut back to the military academy as Damien 
and his class are getting taught about Napoleon and his downfall. Foreshadowing. Hmm. Getting into trouble by his teacher after doodling a picture of him, he shows off his knowledge of military history and mankind's history in general before Sergeant Neff pulls her out, telling him not to be a show-off and he will be seen by everybody real soon and everybody will know his name. Also to read the Bible, most notably the Book of Revelations. So off goes Damien to read the Bible, but wait one little second here. How can he touch this thing let alone stand to be near it if in the first movie just driving up to a church caused him to go into a rage? Plot will much? Mm. After reading and fighting about Number of the Beast 666, he goes into the shower room and finds it on the back of his head in a mirror. Not behind the ear, but stamps smack in the back of his head. How the hell did it move? So Damien runs off into the woods. And yes, you've guessed it, the choir chants menacingly the theme again. Ugh. After running down to the dock, he stops and shouts at the heavens, Why me? And I can't stop asking this question either. If the three sixties mark has been on people before, such as Father Brennan in the previous movie, then why is Damien so fucking important? Is it just because he was born on the 6th of June at 6am in 1971? Oh dear god. Days later, one of Thorne's aides comes back from India with a mysterious package that goes fucking nowhere. The aide being Perserian, played by Alan Erbis, who was sent to India by Burr for unknown reasons. Hmm. Cut to Burr's apartment and Pusanian tells Burr about three deaths in seven of the proposed sites to set up the experimental crops. GM crops at that in 1981 or 83 when the hell this is supposed to be set in? I don't think so. Also these deaths were done by unseen hands and stuff like that. So what the fuck happened there? Anyway, maybe in our states. So it's moving on. So Blur... Burr tells him a piece of machinery is acting up. The following day, Damien's class shows up for a walk around as Damien death stares Persarian. The movie then shows Burr pushing his plans forward about his genetically modified crops and controlling the world's crop, therefore controlling famine. Cut back to Persarian dealing with the faulty equipment, which goes haywire when Damien is near it causing toxic gas to expel, killing Parzarian and an unnamed assistant. The gas affects everyone but Damien as he walks out unharmed while the rest of his classmates are gasping for air. It's on to the hospital where Damien and Mark are checked out and told they are okay, which is utter bullshit because they were all heavily infected by the clouds, but moving on. Mark's doctor tells Thorne all the boys were affected at a cellular level apart from Damien. So, the doctor takes some blood and finds out it's jackal blood. He is quickly killed in a lift. As the lift goes haywire going from the top floor, free-falling all its way down to the third floor. I'm guessing the sixth floor being two on the nose, but hey-ho. And he is halved in two by some safety cables in some really piss-poor effects. Hmm. Back at the Winter Lodge, Thorn starts to question why Damien was unaffected by the gas, also stating the hospital say he has different cell structure from everybody else, which is then brushed under the carpet by his wife. Cut to the museum and Dr Warren opens up the package carried by Berhagen. 
in the beginning of the movie, in the basement of the museum. And it's the Holy Daggers, which somehow was sent back to Jerusalem from England days after a fatal shooting of Thorne in the first movie, which would have been held under Scotland Yard or for evidence, I'm guessing. Anyway, these daggers are found seven years later with the two bodies of the archaeologists. Weeks, if not months earlier, this thing was sent. So why is this the first time he opens it is beyond me. But anyway, moving on, because this movie doesn't fucking care, so why should I care? Opening the box, he finds the crazed daggers and a letter stating what is what. Also other documents explaining everything and how Damien is actually the Antichrist. He rushes out and drives to Thorne's Winter Lodge. Why didn't he just pick up the phone asking for a meeting is beyond me. So Dr. Warren hands Thorne a letter and asks what happened in England seven years earlier. Also telling him about Berhagen. Of course, not listening, Thorne throws him out. However, Mark overheard everything and reads his Bible. After reading Berhagen's letter, letter Thorne now has a seed of doubt. The next day, after learning what he read in the Bible, Mark faces off with Damien, and he's quickly killed by Damien's force powers. Oh, sorry, demonic powers. Again, with the menacing chant. And again, he screams to the heavens. At Mark's funeral, we hear voiceovers of a doctor trying to explain why Mark just suddenly died. Off goes Thorne to New York, where he meets Dr. Warren, who, much like Father Brennan, has went nuts and is locked himself in a room full of crosses in a church. So, both men go down to the train yard, somehow manage to get Dr. Warren out of his sanctuary. Again, the movie doesn't explain why, so why should I? Mm. They go down to the train yard, where the wall is held in storage. And this is where Dr. Warren refuses to enter the box cart. So, Thorne goes in himself and sees the wall. Meanwhile, a train comes alive and runs down Dr. Warren, crushing him between two carts. In the cart, Thorne sees a painting of his wife on the wall. Yet not Damien's head for some reason. Hmm. Meanwhile, at the military academy, Damien has now graduated head of the class and is given an officer's sabre for no fucking reason. Mrs. Thorne is pulled away by an aide and is rushed to the airport where she meets Thorne off the plane and they both rush to the museum. Back at the military academy, Damien is pulled away from the party by Sergeant Nerf and his other lackeys. In the museum, Thorne hunts down the Christ daggers and is finally betrayed by his wife, who I'm guessing is the whore of Babylon. After she stabs him with the daggers, she howls Damien at the top of her lungs like a wolf to the moon just as Damien roasts her by causing the boiler to explode, as the choir chants menacingly. With that, Damien walks out the museum, turns to the camera, smirks, and credits roll. So that was Damien, Omen 2. Pretty much just a remake of the original Omen, with some almost copycat kills. Dull, a chore to get through, unscary, a cheap cash grab, and only half as good as the original Omen, so I'm going to give this one 3 out of 10. Oh, and by the way, do not listen to the producer's commentary. It is just a waste of an hour and 42 minutes, as all he talks about was how the first director wasted so much time and money setting up some ridiculous shots. Also, how this isn't as good as Omen 1. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Most sequels sucked, and this is just a prime example of why sequels are terrible. Moving on. Come back next week as I look at 
Omen 3, The Final Conflict. Also next month, where I look at The Fly in July. Yes, I know it's a bad pun, folks, but come on. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pods and email me Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com. Bye.